Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hi, and welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we're creating a platform for impressive women to inspire the world. This is your host, Julie Fetterman, and thank you so much for tuning back in. I wanted to also express a lot of gratitude for all of you that have been going to iTunes and Stitcher and other places, and not only subscribing and commenting, but also taking the time out of your day to write reviews. I do want to spend a couple minutes reading a few from Stitcher this week. So I'm going to just check them out here. Uh, Jer DJ says, just what we need. Thank you, Legit Lady Podcast. Women have been doing amazing things since the beginning of time, but often have gone unnoticed or unappreciated. Thank you for giving women a platform to tell their wonderful stories. Wow. Thank you. That's amazing. And so true. Adam says, great podcast. Really enjoy Legit Lady. Keep the new episodes coming. And uh, I'm really actually impressed to see how many men have been listening to the podcast and even people that I know in my life, coworkers, things like that, they've been actually coming up to me and having some great conversations about some of the things that they've learned or things that challenge the way they perceive the world. So keep doing that. And to my wonderful women who are listening to the Legit Lady podcast, this actually might be a cool call to action for you to share this with all the women, the incredible men that you love in your life, because maybe there's something for them here too. And last one I'm going to read for today is from Sydney Taylor it says, love, absolutely loving this podcast, genuine and raw conversation, inspiring and relatable. Thank you, Sydney. You're a doll. I appreciate it. Great. So this week I, I want to throw out a, a little thought here about how we take up space. And by space, I mean physical space. Especially as women, we've been taught to present ourselves in a particular way when we interact with society. And from not that long ago, much of those teachings and much of those philosophies are very... Uh, imbalanced and doesn't quite empower how we should actually be authentically. A lot of it is condescending and, you know, not so great for us. But I've been thinking a lot about how we take up space, uh, especially when we're on the street and walking on the sidewalk. So I typically walk to work. Um, it's about like a half hour walk. I love it. Gets me moving. I don't have to sit on a train. I have the option to do that. And that's great being able-bodied and all that good stuff. But what's interesting is when I'm walking down the street, how often I actually have to dodge out of the way of someone coming in the opposite direction. Now I'm a pretty small person, but I know that my taller people <laughs> in my life also have very similar experiences. And man, it's not fun. Now, I know part of this is us being such a plugged in society. We're looking at our smartphones. We're obsessed with understanding what's going on at any point in time. We're zoned out. We're listening to podcasts, which is a good thing to a degree, right? Um, but we're also 
not necessarily paying attention. The other part of where this comes from is perhaps that gendered norm of, hey, you have an expectation of moving out of my way. And especially as a petite female and one who, again, might not necessarily always be obvious when I'm coming your way, I do stay in my lane, but I get decked all the time. So what I'm curious to hear is what you do when you're walking on the street and you feel like you're having to dodge the person who's coming on my way. Now, I was doing a bit of research online and quite a few people have done uh, (laughs) their own um, projects and own experiments on what happens if I don't move out of the way for a week. And obviously lots of mixed results, but generally speaking, it's people who have um, generally men saying, hey, watch where you're going and things like that, especially um, when they are just staying on their side of the sidewalk, even when they could have easily walked around. And so I think it's helpful to try to figure out if there's a root cause of this, what would you do in that instance? Is there a good comeback that you can share instead of getting totally decked and pushed out of the way? And it actually has its own name. It's called man slamming. So not to say men are the only people that are responsible for decking other people. I've certainly gotten decked by women and people who have big bags and purses and stuff like that. But I really think as a society, we can do so much better, especially when we're taking up physical space, especially in shared spaces. For me, it's common courtesy and just respect. And although as women... We've been socialized to try to make ourselves, you know, invisible to a degree. We have an opportunity here to help support each other and maybe start the dialogue and start the conversation down to how we take up physical space. And I don't think we're disturbing anyone by just existing. We shouldn't be thought of that. So I think there's a better opportunity here for us to just exist and maybe have shoulders that are less sore from getting pushed into myself. If I'm feeling pretty energetic, I'll just not move out of the way because I find it's very powerful. And I think we have a right to not have to move out of the way when we're in our you know side of the sidewalk. But there are days when I don't have the emotional energy for that. I'm busy with other things. So yeah, I do the little duck around. I do move out of the way explicitly for whoever's coming on. So it sounds kind of ridiculous, but this is what's been on my mind because I spent a lot of time walking and live in a pretty densely populated city. So please share your thoughts. If you have questions or if there's a theme that you think would be interesting to explore in the podcast, uh, feel free to email us at legitladypodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out to us via social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, because I think these things are worth talking about because we take them for granted. So this week's guest is Sena Saeed. She is a really impressive and intelligent financial educator. I won't give too much away because her story is really interesting, but she is single-handedly responsible for how I look at the idea of retirement, how I manage my finances, and 
I have actually prided myself being pretty responsible with money. It's something that I've tried to do ever since I started making my own income is, hey, how can I be more financially independent? So not only is this woman going out and empowering others to truly take ownership of how they engage with money, and that's something, again, that's historically not been in the women's domain, but is so absolutely critical. So not only is she doing that, but she's actually trailblazing in so many other ways based on her background and upbringing. So very excited to share the interview with her. She's been a huge force of good in my life. Really looking forward to uh, sharing her story. Thank you, Sana, so much for being here. You're welcome. Incredible. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. This is <laughs> going to be a fun experience, I think. Yeah? Is this your first time being on a podcast? It absolutely is, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll make it memorable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Delayed reaction there, huh? <laughs> You're good. Cool. So you know how this works already. We're going to get to know you better through 10 main questions. Lots of follow-up in between. And to kick things off, we're going to dive headfirst into number one, which is what advice would you give to your teenage self? You know, when um, I was thinking about this question, I think the biggest advice I would give myself, my maybe 20 years ago self, is to be bolder mm. in every way. And I think sometimes you don't have the confidence as a teenager to be bold in your dreams, to be bold in your conversations and your relationships. Sometimes it's easy to just fall back or follow a regular pattern. So that's what I would go back and tell my teenage self. Just be bolder. Just, I don't know if, um, if, if that really, I, I wanted to give you an answer that sort of captures a lot of different things because I thought having more confidence, being stronger, being more you know, a, of a go-getter or not just waiting on the sidelines. So I thought by saying to you, I would tell myself to be bolder. It would capture all those things. I love that because we're often socialized to be a bit of the opposite of that. For sure. So I'm curious, what do you think held you back from being more bold? I think the biggest thing was I grew up in a conservative Muslim family Mm -hmm. So there was a very clear expectation of that your life would not be complete or successful unless you were married and had some children. And everything else that you <laughs> did was just kind of a cute little distraction to the main event. Right. And um, it made me maybe not take a long-term view to how what I did as a teenager could actually help me live the life of my dreams. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm saying being bolder and understanding that you could just like blaze your own trail. And I think I learned that way later in life, uh -huh. but I feel like maybe knowing that as a younger person that everything would still work out all right if you just decided what you wanted in life and went for it. Right. I feel like I could have accomplished this sort of internal piece a lot sooner. That's so interesting. And I'm curious how 
you were able to break out of that because many people who grew up with very conservative religious backgrounds and families, I'm sure many of them struggle with that, myself included to a degree with a bit more of an observant Jewish background, not as conservative, but still similar rules apply. So how did you break away from that? I think it was, it's a lot of things are all sort of connected, but, um, I had actually started out at university and, um, I made a decision to drop out of university. Oh, rebel. And yeah, yeah, (laughs) I I got there and it wasn't what I imagined at all. I guess I had this, this grandiose vision of like going to university and studying liberal arts and like improving my soul and changing the world. And I got there, I actually went to U of T downtown at St. George Mm -hmm. briefly. I lasted like half a year before I dropped out. Oh, wow. I was commuting. Uh, I wanted to live away from, from school, but I was sort of, I don't want to say manipulated, but maybe gently guided by my family to stay home and commute. And it was like, I got here and I was commuting every day and it was just not the experience that I'd hoped for or dreamed for. It just felt like, uh, you know, it just felt like this cold and personal place and you're always rushing to meet trains and rush back home to just do it all over again. And so I made this decision to drop out of school. I actually, it wasn't really even a decision. I just stopped going. And, <laughs> and, like, I'm and over then this. a few weeks later, it was like, oh, I guess, I guess that means I'm, I'm not in school anymore. And that was sort of the time that the business I work in now came into my life. Mm. And I hopped into it almost to just get away from from all the restrictions and stuff. And it ended up being my source of strength. I met people who became mentors and I sort of had like a a support group to help me realize that I didn't have to follow the norm or follow all the rules that I previously thought were essential to follow. Mm -hmm. And how supportive were your family to that new direction? Oh gosh, not at all supportive. <laughs> my, my mom didn't talk to me for months. Really? She just thought I was like ruining my life and that I had some potential to do something and be something and make something of my life. And I was just throwing it all away. I have an auntie who's a physician. This is my dad's oldest sister. And she was kind of like the the second in command matriarch in the family after my grandmother. Right. And she valued education like above all else. So when she found out what I had done, it was like blasphemous. And she was, I don't want to say rude, but I can see it was from a place of concern. Like, do you really understand the impact of this decision on your life? And I just, I just felt for once I wanted to make my own choice. And I sort of blocked myself off from all of that and just thought, let me see, let me see how this all turns out. I wouldn't be making any money for the next four or five years anyway. I'd be in school. (laughs) So even if I mess it all up, I'll have all this experience to restart and go in a new direction. Good for you, man. That's hard. And the irony is you went into finance. (laughs) And so the the perception that you're not going to make money in that is very funny in comparison to being a student for the next four years or so. But I empathize, and that's something I hear a lot from a lot of immigrant families as well as a lot of conservative families is, okay, quick, where's the stable high-paying work in this? And they might not actually even be able to see what alternative routes look like. So any 
any deviation from that seems to be dangerous, right? Yeah, like the sky's falling. Yeah. <laughs> well, you leave you leave everything behind to come somewhere, and it's like the one thing that's guaranteed is if you get an education, you'll be able to like survive in your new world. So I get it. But is it though nowadays? Because I, I feel like there's a lot of people who get these arts degrees. I mean, lots of other degrees, even very practical degrees, even commerce, and they're still struggling to find stable work. I think it's a different world than it used to be. So maybe Mm -hmm. 22 or three decades ago, that could really be the path to success, whether you were an immigrant family or, you know, someone whose family had been in Canada for generations. It was like, that was the way, go to school, get a good education, get a good job, and that's going to equal your dream life. Right. And I think more and more now, you have to be more creative or you have to think outside the box. Or even if you do follow that path, it's only going to guarantee that you have like this stable, maybe secure life. But that's not what people want these days anymore. (laughs) I think, I think it's so much more because we have so much exposure to what the world is about that, that just stable, secure life seems dull. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think quite frankly, the way in which our workforce and economy is evolving, what's happening in our political landscape, in political landscape and our climate and our world is absolutely evolving our workforce and our needs and even the skills that we require for that new workforce. It's, it's all changing so quickly. So I don't think a lot of higher education institutions are catching up. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's interesting that yeah. you say that. I, I had a conversation at a meeting um, with uh, a gentleman who teaches business mm. at Guelph Humber. And it was really cool. A, a friend of mine is his niece. So we just ended up having like a meeting and a conversation on a, a premise of maybe doing some professional networking. And he was saying that one of the things that he teaches his business students is that you need to find a way to be an entrepreneur in today's economy. Mm -hmm. And he's like concerned that his message is relevant because he's in his fifties teaching like 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds. And he's like, I don't want them to look at me and say that this old man doesn't know what he's talking about. So he, he said he tries to bring in young entrepreneurs to show examples of what he means by that, because so much of our workforce now is like contract labor or part-time work. He's Mm -hmm. like, to be able to really have that security or maybe be in charge of your own destiny, you need to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So he was saying that there's two things that he teaches people that are, that are essential skills, whether you go a job route or doing your own thing. And he said, one of them was personal management. Like you need to learn how to manage yourself, whether you're going to be in a job or have your own business. And the second thing was interpersonal skills. Right. Isn't that interesting? Like those, he said from everything else that he's taught in business for 20 plus years, those would be the two common elements that are important to know. So that's really interesting. And I want to go back to the first one, personal management. So can you share a little bit more about what that means? Yeah. Yeah. I think what he meant by it was, Mm. and, and, you know, I had asked a few questions digging deeper because Mm -hmm. my reaction was the same as yours. Like, what do you mean by personal personal management? Yeah. Cause I think that's very interesting. He talked about a few things. One of them was attitude. He's like, you know, having a great attitude is essential no matter what you decide to do, you know, being Mm -hmm. positive, being optimistic, 
treating other people around you with like respect and courtesy, no matter what was going on in your life. And then the other way he talked about it a lot was, um, your personal management of time. Okay. So, you know, you have this job to do, it might be a contract. How do you manage your own time to make sure you fulfill the deadlines and you keep on track when there's no one watching you or how you work without direct supervision on a daily basis because a lot of people work remotely now too and you don't have that environment to report into and then of course if you're an entrepreneur like you have to develop the discipline of showing up to work every day yeah and um, there's no one on your back making sure you do that so I also thought that was an interesting thing for him to say yeah that's great and I think it certainly resonates with a lot of advice that I've received going through my career and also have given to a lot of people who are st- starting off in their career or they're trying to find their way is that accountability of self. Right, right. Because a lot of times there's a lot of these skills that are free that we can, <laughs> they're free, they're free, they don't right? require anything to they, have. Exactly. Yeah. And you have an opportunity to make a name for yourself by virtue of you just doing all of these great things that a lot of people are either too lazy to do or they don't have their stuff together to be able to do. That's and so true. like accountability, like being able to manage your time. And there's so many great resources and people uh, who are incredible at that. And there's one piece of it that uh, I've heard being coined as what we call the say-do gap. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So if you say you're going to do something, you let very little time pass before you actually follow through and do that thing. The say, do gap. And Oh, I like that. Yeah. And that's a thing in my own life that I strive to really lean into because ultimately when there's deadlines, when there's things going on and in my work, I work with a ton of different people at the end of the day, they want to make sure that shit gets done. And so if I have to manage timelines and things like that, we'll do that. But if something's going to get done and I say it's going to get done, it's going it to get done. Yeah, exactly. And so as a result, that's why you know, there's a lot of people who would like to work you know, with me in that capacity because yeah. of that very small say do gap. It's almost like building your own brand in a way, right? Whether exactly. you work for a corporation or work for yourself. You're exactly. constantly like creating this personal brand. And when you have, I like, I like that, the say do gap, <laughs> it, it builds your credibility, right? When you actually yeah. do what you say you're going to do, then people feel like they can count on you. And then you slowly become like that go-to person. Hey, you need something done? Talk to Julie, right? Yeah. And it's so simple, right? I mean, you actually have to do it. That's the less simple part, <laughs> but it's, it, again, it's free. I say that it's free because anyone can technically do that. And I want to go back to what you were saying, that the second point, the interpersonal skills, and that being almost an unexpected, surprising thing for someone who's teaching business to share. But what I find interesting about that, it's not just networking per se, because a lot of people who study business, commerce, even who get their MBA, they say, oh, it's networking, right? It's who you know, which is true, but it's also the value of those relationships right. over time and what you invest in those relationships right. over time with. Um, it's more than just glad handing because I've seen both of it happen, uh, both in real time and also lots through stories is just people 
love to work with people that they actually like to work this with. Is so true. Right. So it's not just, are they charismatic and smiley? It's like, is this person who, if I stick my head out for, if I give them a job referral, if I give them an opportunity, will they, A, perhaps do the same for me in the future, but two, will they actually follow through and do a really wonderful job? Yeah. So I love that. I think that's really empowering, very empowering, very, very critical. 100%. My experience being in business too has been Mm -hmm. people will almost very quickly, like within the first 15 to 30 seconds, make a decision if they like and trust someone. Wow. And I think I, th- I think it's the same like for me, like when I meet people, it's like very quickly, maybe the trust part takes a little longer, but you generally make an assessment if you like someone very, very quickly after meeting them. Do you find the same or do you, do you give people a, a longer window to make a good impression on you? See, that's interesting. So I tend to read people's energy very quickly as well. Right. So I can get a read on someone right away, but... The compassionate thinking part <laughs> of my brain loves to also assume good intent and assume the of best course, yeah. in someone. So, okay, let's give them an opportunity. Perhaps they they need a little bit more to get out of their shell and share a bit more. But you're right. I do think that people make these very quick decisions. It's like a general overall impression. Sometimes you don't yeah. even know that it's happening. Right. But when you think back, you're like, yeah, you know, I immediately like the way she... Um, approached me and was really friendly and stuck out her hand and made me feel so welcome. And that was like 10 seconds into meeting somebody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's interesting. I have to, (laughs) I'm thinking, I'm like, oh God, I got to make sure I, (laughs) (laughs) I guess it gives more uh, um, maybe importance to that first impressions or everything, but that's just what I found in business. Mm -hmm. I've been in business quite a long time and I found that people are generally like more, likely to be influenced by whatever you're doing if they like and trust you. And that Mm. can happen very, very quickly in that initial meeting. Yeah. I also think some of that should be rooted in authenticity. Yeah. Because thinking back to a lot of a lot of situations where I've either met people, I've done business with people, I've been in sales, I've done a ton of things where it makes me meet a lot of people. There's so many folks where, you know, they're putting out a brave face and it's not real. It's not authentic. And so I think there is some power, even if you are meeting someone to obviously be humble, genuine, compassionate, all that good stuff, but ensure that it's not just a mask at the same time. And especially if you are in a work environment with other people, It's very interesting how some folks are very fierce about here's who I am at work and here's who I am not at work. Right. So I'm curious about your view on that because some people are straight up Jekyll and Hyde, two very different people. In some instances, understandably, you can't be as open and candid about certain things because it's maybe a more professional work environment. But how do you feel about Well, I've always believed that your personal life is a mirror of your business life and your business life is a mirror of your personal life. Mm. So though you might have like maybe a bit of a different approach, like maybe at work you need to be outgoing, but you're actually a super introverted person. So in your personal life, you're not the life of the party, so to speak. But I think that there's like a general 
um, person that you are. And it's not something that you can really shut off and on. So if you're someone who really cares about people, it may come out differently in your personal life than it does in your work life, but you are still a person who cares about other people. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or if it's, um, if you're someone who always advocates for the underdog, for instance, you're going to, you're going to be that person in your professional life, but you're going to be that person in your personal life too. Mm -hmm. So don't think that your essence is really going to be different, but maybe just the way it comes out mm -hmm. depending on the necessity of, you know, acting a certain way at work or home or whatever. Yeah. I think that's an important point to reflect on is do we actively or even unconsciously try to stifle our essence while we are in our professional sphere? Interesting. Right? Yeah. So I think that's going to be something to chew on for a little bit after, for <laughs> after sure. our conversation. For sure. So I'd love to move on to question two. Oh, right. That was all still question I know. one. <laughs> no, no, we, we can be here forever. It's cool. But uh, I want to make sure we do get through all 10 of these questions mm -hmm. because we certainly want to get to know you too. Uh, question two is, what's your proudest accomplishment? My proudest accomplishment is being able to stay in business. I've met so many people over the years who've had ideas, who've tried things, but then when things get tough or when shit hits the fan, can I say that? Uh -huh. It's so easy to give up and just retreat back to what you think is a safer or easier way. And so I've persevered through a lot of different adversities and challenging things personally and professionally. And I'm just, I'm really proud that I was able to stay, uh, stay the course mm -hmm. and continue to be able to run my business and not have to shut down when things got tough in my personal life or when, um, you know, things didn't look like they were going the way that I wanted to just to kind of keep having a vision and keep going. And it didn't seem like such a significant thing while it was happening. Mm. But as I reflect back and look back, it's like, wow, there's probably like, you know, 18 different occasions that I could have thrown in the towel. And I didn't. And I'm so excited that I didn't, you know? Yeah. What kept you going? Uh, I think it was always um, in that deepest, darkest moment, considering the alternative. And I didn't realize growing up, but I think I'm actually an entrepreneur at heart. And mm. so the idea of packing it in and maybe like writing a resume and looking for a job was that thing that made <laughs> me get back out and say, okay, well, you know, if you can go and make a resume and interview for a job, you can surely put that creativity into figuring out how to turn things around or how to get over this hump in business. So yeah, I would say just considering the alternative. That's amazing. And how long have you been doing what you're doing? Um, it's been like 16 years actually. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. 16 years. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I got in business for myself when I was 19 years old and mm. super naive. And I think that was the only time I probably would have had the guts to go into my, into business for myself because I was just that naive to believe that I had what it takes and I could do it. I think if I was a little bit smarter or a little bit more wise, I would have never, ever even attempted. So sometimes naivety can be a gift. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I see it as more open-mindedness than yeah. naivety. I mean, n being open to not knowing what comes next, but at least giving it a shot anyways. Like embracing uncertainty, maybe. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I think part of that is 
just being open to that uncertainty. And I think that is an incredible skill that many of us struggle with, myself included, even as progressive as I claim to be and try to be, (sighs) right? So that's hugely impressive. I'm curious though, why finance? Because you mentioned that you we're studying more liberal arts and all yeah, that. So yeah. what, what took you in that direction? Cause for me, that feels like very totally opposite. Yeah. Very different. It's true. It's true. I think at the core of it, I really love people and I love meeting new people and hearing people's story. Uh-huh. And I grew up and I, I mentioned about my family, but it was also, uh, um, like my mom never worked. There's six kids in my family and my dad, you know, sort of always struggled to make ends meet. He was more of a dreamer than an executor. So <laughs> things things were always quite challenging financially. Mm. And when I was first introduced to this idea of working in a financial education business, teaching people about money, my the way I connected those things was, okay, if you know about money, then you can overcome maybe whatever challenges or issues you may have had. And then this knowledge can help you live the life you really want. And I've always gravitated towards helping women. I mean, I've got tons of clients of all different, you know, backgrounds and definitely men and women and families and all this stuff. But there was something that just felt so special about educating a hardworking woman about what to do with her money that made her feel more secure about her future Mm -hmm. and helped her believe that she could be independent. And I think those things developed even like a confidence in people to know, hey, my future's set. I know what I'm doing that carried over into all the different aspects of that individual or that woman's life, like more confidence in a relationship, more confidence in a workplace, more confidence just in living your life and knowing what you want because you know, hey, my future's set. And it was like this internal kind of confidence that it gave. So it was my way of combining a lot of things. So I'm not a regular finance person. To me, it's like, this is a path to teach people how to live a better life, if that makes any sense. That certainly does. And that's why you have been, I would say, a massive, massive, massive help. And that's an understatement to me and my sphere. And as you're sharing, I'm sitting here nodding my head because (laughs) that's exactly the feeling you gave me. Wow, that's amazing. It's true. It's that power of having productive action. You're like, okay, great. I'm doing something for myself. Right with my money. And I know very little about this sphere. I am just not very educated. And here's someone who's my shepherd, who is just my tour guide, who's taking me through to show me the best path forward based on my goals. So I love that because to me, from what I understand of this field, it seems like that's not how a lot of people think about their role. Absolutely not. To be honest, I think a lot of people get into this industry for the money. Yeah. And that might be like the maybe one exclusive thing that they get into it and stay into it for. And that was never my thing. I mean, everyone dreams of having a better quality of life. And obviously we need uh, the currency called money to purchase everything that's required to make that a reality. Mm -hmm. But it was like, it was just a natural byproduct instead of the main purpose for me. And when I saw people's lives transform or 
you know, I'm not discriminatory about the people I deal with. So if I show you like the people that, um, that have trusted me with their financial future, I have people who are young and make almost no money. And then I have people who are successful in their career and, you know, are a long time, um, super successful financially in what they do. Like I've got the whole spectrum and that's what makes it interesting for me. Like I've got a young lady that I've been working with since last year and she worked as an office manager when I met her making like $35,000 a year mm -hmm. and came to me and was just like, I want to do better. And I was able to teach her how to pay off her debt and I was able to teach her how to start saving. And in the year that we worked together, she was able to accumulate over $5,000 in savings with such a modest income. And she'd never saved before. Wow. So when we sat down last week and, you know, she was telling me about this new job she got and how she got engaged and she has this goal to buy a home. It was like, I just felt like so thrilled for her and like, um, a sense of real accomplishment and um, fulfillment for myself because I was like, I get to be a part of this journey with her and probably no other institution or financial professional is going to sit down with someone like this because they don't see enough money in it. Yeah. But it's like the opportunity to grow with people is honestly so exciting for me. Yeah, because who's to say that in two or three years, she would be a manager or a director or someone making three times as much money and then could hypothetically even feed into your bottom line. I mean, that's the value of being able to actually invest in someone. Right, right. That's so interesting. And do you ever turn down clients for any particular reason? I, I do. Like when I meet people, mm. what I look for is someone that I can click with and mm. someone who's going to listen to me. So if I don't feel like those two things are occurring. Makes sense. <laughs> I, I, I don't move ahead, but mm. I don't discriminate in terms of the size of the account or how much revenue I believe this could generate for my business. Because I, I really think... Um, if we build great long-term relationships, those things take care of themselves. And for me, that was a reason why I got into business. I built my confidence because mentors taught me things that I was able to apply to my own finances. And I thought if I can teach this to other people, they could enjoy maybe some of the same peace of mind and, and confidence that I was able to get through what I taught. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. And you mentioned in that story that you're able to help her with a relatively modest income, save $5,000 through a pretty short period of time. Do you have a couple of high level tips or suggestions for anyone listening who are looking to hopefully save towards something yeah. that they might be able to do? Just a couple of high level ones. I would say like three simple suggestions mm -hmm. would begin with stop spending on credit. <laughs> if you can't afford it, don't buy it because that's what gets us in trouble. Right. And then when we have debt, we can't afford to save. So stop spending on credit. Mm. The second advice that I was, I would give is pay yourself first, but make it a systematic plan. So you don't have to worry about doing it at the end of the month. Mm. You set it up so that when you get paid, when money goes in your account, money's coming out and going into some kind of savings or investment vehicle. And the third thing I would say is if you want to live a life beyond your income, find a way to make more money. Hmm. 
if it means driving Uber or getting a part-time job or going back to school or whatever it may be, you're starting a business on the side, that's going to activate a sort of creativity that just swiping a credit card never will. Right. No, that's true. And I like the, hey, when money comes in, make sure it comes out at the same time. Because that way you're not tempted to do something with it. <laughs> exactly. It's like a bill payment. Like you don't yeah. ever not pay your phone bill. You don't ever not pay Hopefully. your rent. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so taking that same attitude, like saving money is just a bill you pay to your future self. Yeah. And if the money is in your actual account for only a hot second, it's not enough time for you to make bad decisions. So I like that. <laughs> yeah. The temptation is gone for sure. Amazing. Cool. Thanks for that. So question three is how do you balance work and life? Especially since you probably have a wide roster of individuals you work with. I'm really curious to hear your answer. I, I think that's a very interesting question because I don't know if, if balance is actually even possible on an everyday basis. I think it's possible sort of like if you look at your life overall over the course of a month or a year, mm -hmm. but I don't think there's such a thing as balance daily. Like there's days that I will work all day. Like I'll start working in the morning and work all the way until the evening, but then mm -hmm. there's days where I don't work at all. So my sort of balance comes from figuring out what's a priority daily and then doing it. And there's people in my life that I really value. Like when my sister got married a few years ago, my mom passed away 12 years ago. So she wasn't there. And I took like three weeks off work to be there for her when all of her, you know, wedding and planning and everything was coming to, to the last minute. And that's what I think balance is all about, to be able to be present and engaged in whatever is the most important thing going on in your life at the moment, right? So, you know, if at the moment, the most important thing is being there for the people you serve in your business, then sometimes the other people who don't need you as much can take a back seat and mm -hmm. vice versa. That's an important shift in perception. And considering how many of us are really wrapped into our work of that hustle of that, oh, I need to get this done. And if I don't, if I stop, then everything's it's going to, exactly, is imploding. <laughs> but it, it really has been timely because there's someone I work with who unfortunately has had someone in their family who's been very, very sick. Oh, wow. And I've been seeing how this struggle has been playing out of, there's someone in my life who I love, who I should be spending time with and should be caring for. But here's this business side of things that's also very demanding and needs my attention. And obviously that intrinsic drive of, hey, I want to get promoted. I want to do great things and prove myself and continue my career. And we had a couple of really powerful conversations. I'm really happy that what the decision was out of that was actually deciding that person deciding to take a bit of time away oh, wow. from work wow. because that situation in their family was urgent. urgent and not a good one. And that was inspiring, at least to me, because I'm someone who, like you said, can get very <laughs> wrapped up into everything that needs to happen. And taking the time for yourself or taking the time for your family, again, hopefully it's not for bad reasons, but when it comes up and when it's necessary to actually click pause on the business and the career can sometimes be the best decision that you make. Mm -hmm. And 
ultimately at the end of the day, work is important. Your career is important, but unless you are literally a surgeon <laughs> operating <laughs> on someone, life or death. it is not life or death. So for me, that's been really timely and, and everything you just said just struck that chord. So I, I appreciate what you shared since yeah, thank you. it's probably one of the hardest lessons for myself at the moment. It's tough. And yeah. I think one of the things that made me look at stuff differently was realizing sometimes when it comes to the people you care about, your community, your family, it's like you might not get another chance to be present for them yeah. when you need it. Like I thought, and I had very similar um, conflict, internal conflict, because I personally maybe don't value weddings the same way my sister does. <laughs> but I was talking to a good friend who's a mentor and um, I was just saying to her like, you know, why is this even so important? I don't get it. And she helped me see things differently. And I realized that if I wasn't present for my sister and that part of her life that was so critical to her, I think it wouldn't have like our relationship would be different today. For sure. I mm -hmm. do think that. I think being present for her then strengthened our relationship in a way that nothing else ever could have. So I'm so glad in retrospect in this example that I gave you that I made that choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having that ability to put yourself in their shoes, being able to say, hey, this is not something that I might even value or see as important. It might be frivolous even. But to them, this is this is the time when they need that support the most. Right. That's the time when you have the ability to make such an impact, even if where you are in your life, in your mind, in your upbringing, <laughs> you're like... convenient. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, no, this stuff is hardly convenient, <laughs> right? But being able to actually flip that script yeah. is, is really powerful. Cool. So... Question four, can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life? I've sort of alluded to this in, in your previous question, but my mother passed away 12 and a half years ago. She died from breast cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. And she was 47 years old when that happened. And it was, it was probably the most difficult and traumatic thing that I've ever had happen. And it's almost like you don't even understand what's happening as it's happening and, um, that event has sort of shaped so many different parts of my life and even the relationships with my family through ups and downs. So that, um, that is something I never, I wish no one ever has to go through, but if you end up going through it, you will come out on the other side, tougher, more resilient and way less likely to crumble through what you might think would be hard things otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, adversity has that nifty little ability to breed strength. <laughs> How did you get through that dark and difficult time, whether it was how you preserved your own sense of self and your own wellness or being able to help those closest around you? Uh, there was a period of probably six months where I can think where it was like when I woke up in the morning, I just thought, is it time to go back to sleep yet? I don't know if, you know, if other people have ever gone through times where you just wish you could let the day go by and you don't have to be present in it. But as the initial like real shock of this, this loss 
set in. Mm -hmm. It was almost like I had a chance to look at my mother's life in a different way. And I realized that she had so many dreams that basically were unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. You know, she came, she came to Canada and about nine months after she came to Canada, her and my dad had gotten married um, in another country. So when she emigrated here, when he sponsored her, like nine months later, she had her first child. A year later, I was born. A year and a half later, my younger brother was born. And a year and a half after that, my sister was born. Efficient. Right? (laughs) So in five years, there was four kids and then two more babies like a few years after that. And I had a chance to really say she never had an opportunity to like decide what she wanted in her life. It was like, you know, these things happen and then you're just in like, you're just in, in this mode where you're dealing with this family. Mm -hmm. And I thought about some of the conversations that we had and some of the dreams that she had. And it just made me appreciate this kind of freedom that I had now to pursue whatever I wanted to. And there was like no excuses and no holdbacks. And, um, it gave me a kind of courage to plunge ahead almost. Mm -hmm. Do you reflect on that even now? There isn't a day like, you know, people who've lost their, one of their parents and especially a mother, there's not a day that's ever going to go by that you're not going to think about it. Or, you know, you'll remember something that your mother said to you that you never understood at the moment. You're like, (laughs) oh, now, now I get it. Right. That's what she meant. Right. So it's almost (laughs) like you have to make that time that you have concentrated in a way where it's like, okay, you have to take and distill whatever wisdom you got and like keep thinking back to these things or, or even ask yourself, okay, if, if I was in this situation and I could ask my mother for advice, what advice would she probably give me based on what I can remember or what she has told me? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you can continue having a relationship. It just takes a bit of creativity and, um, maybe a different approach. Instead of the like WWJD, right? be like WWMD. <laughs> what would mom do? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, cool. Well, thanks for sharing. I, yeah, I know that that's, that's not easy stuff to talk about, but certainly appreciate you being so willing and so open. Because that seems to be a theme that, at least in my own personal sphere lately, has been a lot of people... Yeah, unfortunately, having to battle illness or people wow. who I know who's have a close dealing with that. Yeah, yeah, dealing with the same thing. And those stories that you share, those all of those ideas are all really important things to put stuff into perspective. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So question five is who or what inspires you the most? That's a really good question because there's so (laughs) many things I think that inspire all of us Mm -hmm. in so many different ways. But I'll share um, a little bit about a friend. She's actually the daughter of my mentor that has been working with me since I got in business. And this girl I've known since she was like probably, you know, nine or 10 years old. She's now 24 years old and she graduated with a degree in design from Concordia about two years ago. And she's since been a digital nomad. 
And so she spent some time in Central America initially, like when she graduated, she had 300 bucks and bought a ticket to Guatemala and just oh, like cool. went out and started exploring, ended up meeting some really cool people at a co-working space who invited her to Bali. And like her whole journey has been like, you know, started from that spot and she's learned so much and she was actually home last month and we had the good fortune of spending a day together and she was just kind of catching me up on her life. And she's been able to build a thriving business while traveling. Um, she's been, you know, to a bunch of different countries in Europe. She's sort of set up a semi permanent ish lifestyle in Bali. And it's just incredible because she's now making over $20,000 a month in us dollars What running this amazing business. And Jeez. she's now making a course teaching other people how to do the same thing. And the course is going to launch probably in the next two or three months. And I'm just inspired by her because she literally went out into the world, was out of her comfort zone, almost on a daily basis, embraced uncertainty. You know, she'd show up in a new city and have to like, you know, navigate around without knowing the language being a young woman, a young visible minority woman all by mm -hmm. herself. And it was just hearing her speak and seeing how much she's grown mm -hmm. is so inspiring because it could be easy to say, oh, you're so lucky. You have this fantastic life. <laughs> but when you hear the other side of all the, like the, the, I don't even want to say tough, but it's like all the out of your comfort zone things that she's done to right. be able to live her life are just so phenomenal. Like every time I spend time with her, I'm inspired. And I feel like the world is this big, exciting place, you know, to, to go out and see and conquer. That seems to be the literal definition of that entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. that you were sharing earlier. It's interesting because I hear that a lot since I'm someone who tries to travel as much as possible yeah, within yeah. reason, but I hear it a lot. You're so lucky. You're so lucky that you get to do this. And well, that's true to a degree, like I have privilege in that it isn't without a tremendous amount of work. Right. Right. And like any sphere of your life, you decide where your priorities are. And so for me, it's travel. And that's why you know, I make Everything sure. Everything is shifted towards that priority. Exactly. You make sure that you set aside money for that travel fund. You make sure that you set up your life in a way that you can do those types of things. Right. Uh, that digital nomad life, though, that's something I'm so curious to learn more about. This that's working so cool. remotely lifestyle. Ugh. The dream for me. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a program that this, this girl, her, her name is Danielle. Danielle mm -hmm. told me about, which she heard about through a friend called Be Unsettled. Oh. I don't know if you've heard of it before, no. but they started their relatively new business or new organization. And their concept is that you could take a sabbatical from your regular life and not go on a vacation, but live and work in a whole different city for anywhere from two weeks to two months. So their initial destination was Bali. Now they do Buenos Aires. They have a location in Portugal. They do a trip to the Amazon. There's Lima, Peru. Wow. I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. And then there was one to Medellin, Colombia. And there's one in Cape Town, South Africa. So you can actually apply into this program and go and spend. Um, the website is beunsettled.co. So you can go spend a couple of weeks or up to two months in a place. They give you a, they, they call it a co-created experience. So they hand select a group of 20 to 30 individuals 
from different parts of the world who have also done different things professionally in their life and they bring them together in a group. So you have a chance to learn and have like this really, really cool exposure. So I'm actually looking at going on this Cape Town retreat next year. I was going to say, I was like, I could totally picture you doing something like that. I'm literally writing this down. <laughs> I'm like, this sounds like a great idea. Keep like talking. Phenomenal. <laughs> and, and you have access to a co-working space if you need it. If you're oh. there more for just like a break in life, if you're there for more like a sabbatical kind of idea, they accommodate, you know, whatever you're trying to do. So I actually had a conversation with the girl who's in charge of admissions for the Cape Town retreat a couple of days ago. And it was such an awesome conversation. And the location where they have the villas where the participants would stay in Cape Town is five minutes from the oceans. So you're five minutes wow. away from the beach, but uh. also five minutes away from the mountains, but also Ooh. 10 minutes away from the downtown core of Cape Town, which apparently is full of the most incredible restaurants. Ooh, nice. So it just sounded like a phenomenal heaven, phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal experience. Ah, uh, keep me posted on that. Do, that sounds for sure. really cool. Yeah. Oh, well, when you mentioned at the beginning of this question, you mentioned she's the daughter of, of your mentor. Correct. Yeah. I, I wanted to explore a little bit about mentorship. Because it's something that I'm asked about all the time is mm -hmm. how do you find a mentor and how do you maintain that relationship? And is it two way? I'm curious, in your case, how did you get that mentor in the first place? So I mentioned when I um, started working in the business that I'm in currently, I was sort mm -hmm. of recruited into like a fairly large office mm -hmm. of people. And it was like over time, over the first probably year that I was there, I stuck, I struck up a friendship with this gentleman. His name is Robert. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was initially like not even a mentor mentee type of relationship. It was just someone who was always positive and always excited. <laughs> and I was like, I want to feel that way about my life. So his, his vibrancy is what drew me to him. And then, you know, I started to show some success and promise and he took an interest in coaching me and working with me. So I didn't really seek it out. It was just okay. kind of the natural byproduct of being attracted to someone's vibe and then someone realizing potential in you and maybe like your natural kind of curiosity to want to learn from them mm -hmm. that became the foundation of that relationship. And I would still consider, I would actually consider him and his family like my own family. That's how close we've become over the years. Oh, wow. So it was just an organic, very, very organic type of thing. Yeah. That's amazing. And do you have other mentors in your life or is Robert the main mentor? I would say he's the main mentor mm -hmm. in like business. And obviously like, I think he has an amazing family life. So, you know, he's got three kids and two grandkids now. And his wife is like a very, very good friend of mine. And she's been more of like a personal mentor to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I would say they're the main ones, but I think as you go through your life, you're going to, you're going to meet people who can offer you advice in all different areas. Like you might need a, a mentor for a health situation that you're going through, or you mm -hmm. might need to have a mentor for, um, I've recently sort of my, my relationship with my best friend has been unraveling. Interestingly mm -hmm. enough, she's got a 
almost two-year-old and another baby on the way. And Mm -hmm. it's been very interesting because our relationship was so close for the last two decades. And in the last 18 months, it's like that's changed completely. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like I've been, I've been getting advice from people who have lost friendships too, to figure out how to like deal with that or how to regain the friendship. So I think as you go through your life, you're just going to have people who can offer advice and I would call that a mentor too, maybe not a mentor for life, but a Mm -hmm. mentor in an area of your life that could really help you cope with whatever you're going through. That's really great. Uh, And what it makes me think of is some advice I received over the past year to think about these people in your life almost as a personal board of directors. Ah, I like it. I like it. (laughs) Way to think about it. So you have either person or people whom you go to when it comes to work situations and then maybe the same or totally different people when it comes to, to personal, personal, maybe it's again, financial, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's, it's a few other things. Yeah. Right. So that's really great advice to be able to share. And for people whom are actively trying to seek mentorship out and they haven't yet found that organic interaction what advice would you give them to be able to find maybe a more formalized mentor situation? I would say be open. Be open to talking to a lot of people because sometimes you may find a mentor in the most unexpected of places. Mm. And sometimes people who maybe they didn't accomplish what they set out to in life, but they have such a rich uh, life experience Mm-hmm. that there's so much that they could teach you, maybe even from the mistakes that they've made, right? Like I, I went to drop off some soup at my friend's place who's sick. Aww. And she's a teacher and has no children, but she's been teaching teenagers like for the last, you know, 10 plus years. And she's dating this guy who has three kids. Mm. And interestingly enough, she was giving him advice about how to deal with his teenagers. (laughs) So she has no kids, but she's in a better vantage point to give advice. And that's why I'm saying if you're seeking mentors in your life, maybe just be open, Mm -hmm. talk to people, ask questions, you know, don't be afraid to be vulnerable and share about yourself because sometimes when you're vulnerable, it's when people people feel like a greater connection with you. And I think that is the foundation for a good mentor mentee relationship, like some sort of sincere connection where people want to be invested in you doing well in whatever area it is and want to offer something of themselves to you. But unless you're vulnerable, it's hard to make those connections. Mm -hmm. And vulnerability is a skill. I think living, especially in a very big city, we're trained from a young age to have our walls up, put our heads down and just look out for yourself and always suspect many of the other people around us. And it's, it's saddening because many other communities all around the world, that's not how they operate. It's in fact the opposite. So what you're saying about being consciously open and be okay being uncomfortable and vulnerable around these people leading to something that can become so beautiful and nurturing is such an encouraging piece of advice. Yeah. yeah. It's great. 
All right. So moving forward here to question six, what is the most adventurous thing you have ever done? (laughs) (laughs) This was a tough question because as I look through, I'm like, man, I don't think any one thing that I did was super adventurous. It was just, it was just like choosing to, to, to be different almost. But one of the adventurous things I've done recently was go to Barcelona with Danielle, the same young lady I told you who's a digital nomad. Because oh. I, I, similar to your friend that you talked about at work, mm-hmm. I always felt like, oh my gosh, if I go away for like two weeks, what's going to happen? Yeah. Things are going to, you know, fall apart and, you know, <laughs> everything I worked for will be gone when I get back. And she convinced me actually to just take two weeks off and go to Barcelona for no actual reason except to just travel and have an experience. When was the last time you took vacation before that? That was it. That length of vacation, like never. Really? Yeah. You've never taken two weeks off in at least 16 years? Yeah. Holy crap. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So anyway, that was, (laughs) though it doesn't seem like a very adventurous thing, the whole experience of like being okay with it and taking off, I was like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. And I ended up having a phenomenal time and just coming back and realizing, wow, yeah, this, this is something that, you know, made me see a lot of things very, very differently. So I'm grateful that I plunged ahead and did that. And what did you see differently after coming back? How did it affect you? I think the biggest thing was when you, when you don't, get out of your circle or your bubble or your like pattern of your life, you start to believe that that's all there is in the world. (laughs) And I mean that like sort of in a simple way, but in a very deep way also. Mm -hmm. So getting out and going somewhere completely different. And interestingly enough, the most, like the coolest people come out at night, like after 2 a.m. So, so <laughs> go on. We, we, we made this decision that I would just kind of stay on my Canadian schedule so that I wouldn't suffer jet lag when I go back home. So we would just sleep in the morning and then be out like until three or four o'clock or five o'clock in the morning every night. Not doing any like super crazy stuff, but just like going out to a restaurant, walking home and bumping into people who are, you know, on their way back to a hostel from a pub crawl. And just like the stories that you hear from people are so like, so, so cool. And I feel like before midnight, not everyone is as receptive to talking, (laughs) but like after that time, people are just so excited to have conversations and you realize like, you know, everybody's on this interesting journey and um, they have such different lives and maybe you've ever seen or, or been exposed to or, or experienced. So I feel like I came back with a broader sense of, um, you know, how small maybe I really am in this whole world, which gives you <laughs> this kind of like attitude, like not to take things so seriously. And, you know, you think you were so important, but you're really not that important. I mean, you're important in what you do, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a very liberating feeling to realize that, you know, what, whatever you're doing is not as significant maybe as you think. Yeah. And therefore the amount of stress that we put on ourselves right. in a lot of these situations is not really warranted. hundred <laughs> percent. And especially in a place like Barcelona, uh, it seems like 
at midnight or you know 10 p.m. midnight or so. That's when they're going out for dinner. Yeah. So you know, by the time it's 3 a.m., that's when people are are, are wired out and ready and about. to go. Yeah, exactly. They they have it right. They take a nice <sighs> siesta earlier in the day. Like they're good. They they have this whole work life thing figured out. I think, I think. so. I think so. <laughs> Better than us in North America, at least to a degree. So are you inspired to now go away more often or? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think I've always had a yearning to travel. I just lack the confidence to like go out and do it by myself. And I feel so inspired, like, you know, with talking to Danielle, who's traveled all over the world and she's way younger than me. (laughs) And um, also just realizing that there's programs like the Unsettled program that I Mm -hmm. told you about that can make the experience so much easier. Also, because if you're going away, having a sense of community in whatever your destination is, I think could really enrich the experience or give you the confidence to do that kind of solo traveling. And maybe solo traveling is one of the best ways to do self-discovery as well, because you have so much time to yourself with no set agenda necessarily. So it forces you to have time to reflect and kind of be present as to what your thoughts and emotions are. Yeah. And there's a sense of discomfort with that for many people, Definitely. especially if we're used to investing our time and energy into other people. So maybe you're investing your time and effort into taking care of your parent, or maybe it's just throwing yourself into your work. So you're just focused on your clients. Maybe it's a partner. So there is very often this even intrinsic fear of, Oh crap. Now I have to be alone with my own thoughts (laughs) and think about life and where I'm at. And that is a really crucial thing that we need to get a bit better at doing. I think so. I think so. It's almost like in this culture of like, go, 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 Mm -hmm. go. We can just fill our time with stuff to do, which leaves, you know, it maybe gives you an out to actually have to self reflect which can be a hard thing to do, right? Yep. <laughs> Just take the easy way out. <laughs> Netflix, go. <laughs> exactly. Question seven is, what do you attribute your success to? I thought this question was also very interesting because there's many different ways to look at this, but I would sum up my answer to consistency. Mm. I'm nev- I've never been the best at what I do but I've been incredibly consistent in my attitude and my sort of like approach and work ethic. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's probably the thing that's going to make things work for you. Like if you just kind of like show up and do what you're supposed to do every day, you don't have to be like a dynamo or a star. Even if you look at people who made it big in different areas of their life, sometimes it's not one big thing, but it's like, this consistency of improving their skills until they got that one big break. Mm -hmm. So if I had to sum it up, I would just say like a sense of consistency has helped me so much in accomplishing what I have so far. Mm -hmm. All of those repetitive actions that you do. The boring stuff. Yeah. That lead to the big thing. It's interesting. I come from being in sales and in sales, what, typically gets the most applause and the most recognition are the the dynamos, right? The people who hit the highest of highs and they're getting all the awards and all that great stuff. And 
ultimately sometimes end up hitting the lowest of lows. And the best advice I ever got in sales was to never let yourself get too high or too low. Too low. Yeah. (laughs) I definitely agree that there's value in that advice. Mm -hmm. Slow and steady wins the race. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Question eight. What item or items could you never live without? That is such an interesting, such good questions, Julie. Um, <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> I, I think the first item is definitely my iPhone. Mm-hmm. I call it my most faithful companion. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, my, my dear friend. You know, right? <laughs> and um, I can watch Netflix on it. I can make phone calls on it and connect with people. I can FaceTime my knees. I can send text messages. I've got my calendar on there. I can access an unlimited supply of information on there. It's, it's just like almost like having that faithful companion, like I said. <laughs> so that encompasses a lot of things. And besides that, I'm not really a super materialistic person. Like I'm very adaptable. I'm pretty flexible. I could be like a chameleon. I could, you know, come and go. Like there's nothing else, maybe just my mascara because it makes me feel like my (laughs) eyes are open in the morning. But yeah, I would say, you know, those two things. Mm -hmm. It's funny how we put so much power into something like mascara. I'm the same way with my (laughs) red lipstick as you can see right now uh, in action. But It's funny because especially if I have a big meeting or I know that there's something I'm going to have to do, there's almost this armor that you feel like you have. I don't feel the same way, but at least with me, I feel like I have this armor, extra superpower. For sure. Yeah. Gives you like a polish and a strength. Yeah. You're like, I'm the same damn person. I just have some color on my face. And I don't know if that's just (laughs) our societal norms playing into me, but it's, it's great. If I'm going into a big meeting, an interview or something like that, I just throw on some lipstick. I feel like I can take on the world. Yeah. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And I, I like almost never wear lipstick. Yeah. It's so cool though. I never wear mascara, so we, we all got our thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So question nine is, is there anything you'd like to promote? I would advocate the development of financial literacy. Like whatever level of knowledge you have about your money, try to gain a little bit more. Or try to try to find someone in your life who can educate you about that because... I think many people have a very uh, challenging relationship with their money, with the way they see their money. Mm, That's an understatement. Right. (laughs) And some of these things are deep rooted in our childhood. And many people have been told, you know, money is a root of all evil and, you know, all different things Mm -hmm. like this. But I think the reason why I would promote financial literacy is so that we can develop a better relationship with our money and start to see money as a tool and a currency to live the life of our dreams mm-hmm. instead of something that has to be controlled or something that controls us or something that's a source of a lot of frustration or anxiety. But the more you learn about something or the more you learn about your money, I think the more it can be a tool for you. And that is something that you have to like do personally. It's not just like, okay, well, if you're married, my husband handles the finances and that's great. But if you just learn a little bit more than you know already, 
you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. So that would be what I would promote and my challenge to, to anyone who's listening. Just go learn a little bit more. And what specifically should our listeners learn about with their money? Obviously, hopefully that they have some and it's coming in from somewhere, but what else? Okay. So once we've established that there's a source of income, (laughs) fingers crossed, uh, right? (laughs) So we're operating under that assumption. So you figured out how to get the money coming in. I would really like get aware of how you spend your money. Like I've given people a homework assignment to take a week or a month and get a little notebook, even from a dollar store Mm -hmm. and start recording what you spend your money on every day, even if you buy a pack of gum or you buy a coffee Mm -hmm. or you buy a guilty leather jacket, whatever the purchase is, (laughs) record it every day and then start to gain an awareness of how you spend your money. Because all of us believe there's things in our life that we can't afford. I mean, you talked about traveling earlier Mm -hmm. where a lot of people, you know, think you're so lucky, but you make sacrifices and plans so that those things are a reality. Mm-hmm. So I think the very first recognition that you want to come to is that you can afford a lot more than you think you can if you start prioritizing the things that are important. So if it's important for you to travel, but you're eating out every single day, mm-hmm. you're going to realize from this exercise that if you packed your lunch three days a week, you could probably afford to take two amazing vacations a year without even changing anything else. Mm. So I think that power comes from understanding where your money is going. So now you have power to make better choices so that you can get what you really want to in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Boom. That was a mic drop. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like, damn, that's really great advice. And what are a couple of the biggest misconceptions or maybe some of the most common misconceptions that people have about money? Aside from that it doesn't grow on trees Ah. or... (laughs) I think that um, one of the biggest misconceptions people have about money is that you need a lot of it to start saving or that you need a lot of it to start investing. This mindset like, when I have more, then I'll do something. Honey, that ain't true. Whatever you do with a little bit of money is the same thing that you do with a lot of money. So if you squander a little bit of money, you're going to take the same attitude when you have a lot. So it's understanding that wherever you're at, you can begin. Even if you put away $25 a paycheck, the confidence you're going to gain at the end of that year from seeing that, okay, if your personal finances is like a little business and at the end of that year, the little business actually had a small profit, that's huge. Oh yeah. And then you go into the following year with a greater kind of like confidence and conviction. So drop that myth that you need more. You can start with, wherever you, with whatever you have and wherever you are, and then build on top of that foundation. Yeah, that's huge. And even some of the advice that you shared with me about thinking about retirement and fingers crossed, maybe early retirement or something like that. You always shared that retirement wasn't, uh, what was it? it We said retirement is not an age. It's a number. Yeah, that's right. It's not an age. It's an amount. Right. And it's when you, I mean, our technical definition that we give of financial independence is when your recurring income exceeds your living expenses, then you're free to do whatever you want to do. So our goal is to get people to that point as early as they want to in their life. And I've never believed that, that I should say to someone that their goal is impossible. My job is to show you what it would take. 
maybe what it would take is impossible based on your current circumstances. But if you know what it takes to reach your goal, then that creative part of your brain can now figure out, okay, well, what else could I do to make this a reality? You know, right. and, and maybe I can't begin with the ideal, but where can I start right now mm-hmm. that could put me on track towards where I want to get to? Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was a bartender, I would have a toonie drawer yeah, and I would just take toonies from my tips at the end of the night and just, drop them, and just drop them in there. And, you know, thankfully you've helped me turn those toonies into all sorts of good stuff, but you know, at least that is a step forward, For right? Sure. <laughs> it's a start, right? Yeah. And it was that mindset that you have. Honestly, you were so, I mean, I know we're here, not here to talk about your personal stuff, but you were so easy to deal with because you were so ready. Oh, you were just like ready to take action. So that say do gap, you weren't just saying (laughs) I want to be financially independent. You're like ready to take action. So I totally admire that about you. You can come take a solo trip to my private island whenever that is a reality. (laughs) Can't wait. (laughs) Good. All right. So rounding things out with question number 10, what is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh my gosh. Another good question. Julie's just hitting us with good question after good question. Just keep saying nice things about me. It's great. (laughs) Seriously. What I love about your questions is that they, they really make you think and they're not, they're sort of like just below the surface. Yeah. So what is something I learned the hard way? I think it's, you got to trust people. I think you can't really, uh, you can't really have an amazing experience of life unless you learn how to trust people and have faith in people. And this was hard for me. I don't know why, but, um, the trust part I got down, but the having faith part was more challenging. And I'll tell you why I think they go together. I think in, in our life, we can probably accomplish some, some okay things on our own, but to actually make those accomplishments sweeter or more fulfilling, there has to be people involved. Mm -hmm. And in my business, I had to trust that the people I was giving advice to would listen to me in order for it to all work out. Right. And then the second part of that is having the faith that they wanted what we had set out just as bad as I wanted it for them. Mm -hmm. And I found that having faith in people makes like a whole better experience out of everything. So now in my business, I've developed a lot of clients, helped a lot of people. And when I sat down early in the year to figure out, well, what's next for me, it was really being able to mentor and teach some other people to be able to do what I do in order for me to grow my business, maybe have a bit more freedom, but also to to learn what I did the better way. And I had a lot of trouble having faith in people. Like they were going to take what I was teaching them and do something good with it. Or were they going to waste my time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I found that the more I leaned into having faith in people, it's the, it's like the more they impressed me, the more they made me feel like the time I was spending with them was worth it. The more I could believe in them, but it was like that intangible of me having faith in them, not just trusting them, but really having this faith in them just was a game changer in the relationship. So I learned the hard way that you can't, you can't have the most incredible relationships with people unless you have faith in them. 
How do you let go and provide that faith, especially if, say, you're someone who's been burned so much in the past by people in whatever context? I think it's being at peace with the outcome, whatever that may be. So, and I know, you know, if you've been in a bad relationship, sometimes it's hard to trust someone else. And Mm -hmm. in business, maybe you've poured into people who quit on you. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is it's almost like it doesn't matter what the outcome is. You've decided that you're going to do a certain thing and be a certain way. And it's okay. So if you pour into someone and have faith in someone who disappoints you, it's okay. Because there's going to be someone else that you pour into and have faith into that's going to exceed any expectations you ever had. And I think that let go is so liberating because then you just, you're not so careful about who you pour into and you're not going to say, okay, I need to make sense before it does. It's kind of like parents, they're not discerning about loving their kids. You have your kid and that kid might grow up and disappoint you, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't stop you from loving them. So I felt like that's exactly what I needed to kind of come to terms with to be able to have that let go. And I'm so much happier because of it. And it's like, I've connected with some incredible people and I'm just so I'm thrilled because they're beginning to exceed any expectation I had for them. And that's a super cool feeling. I can only imagine. Senna, thank you so much. I'm beyond inspired. I'm going to let go a little bit more in my own life, I think. (laughs) I got to like tone down the neuroticism a bit. (laughs) But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone. 